Good morning again. <clears throat> Good to see all of you uh, this late September Sunday. The worship was awesome this morning, wasn't it? Yes. It was a blessing. I told the first service, uh, the first ever violin up here today. Thank you, Jackson. Yeah. Hopefully not the last. Uh, I, I love different instruments and I told the first service that, um, you know, Tawan oversees our worship ministry and does a great job of shepherding that ministry, but yet, you know, you, we have three or four different teams and, and uh, guys that lead worship, and they have different styles, and I appreciate the different styles and, uh, and the different uh, way that our folks lead under Tawan's larger leadership, but... Uh, Today we had a bunch of y'all up there, Phil up there, and Gary up there, and Jackson up there, and Tawan up there, and, and, uh, and uh, obviously we had the, uh, the ladies and vocals, and uh, just great. So um, that last song, uh, Wednesday I, I covered Psalm 149, 150, and the doxology of what Psalm 150 is, and that last song is a doxology. It is both a prayer and a, oh, it's a prayer and a praise and a hymn all in one. So uh, that was beautiful to do. But good morning. Good to have those of you that are online. Welcome. I know we've got a fair number of people that are sick these days. Lots of stuff going on. I'm, I'm on week four of battling a uh, cough and a cold. It's, I, I kinda, it kind of goes like this to, to be gone. I don't know. But, uh, uh, but I'm sure a lot of you guys um, have had things going around. But good to have you here if you're online uh, watching at home sick or something like that. We're glad you can at least Worship with us uh, from your living room or your bed or whatever it may be. Uh, but those of you that are here, uh, we're just looking forward to what God will do in the rest of this service. And I have a couple of quick things that are that are pretty big deal. Number one, the Cawthorns are back. They're hiding way over here. And I told the first service that, um, you know... Uh, we just knew that the Lord was uh, at least impressing upon us the last couple of years, at least to be praying about uh, you know, whether the Lord would call uh, Zach into pastoral ministry from being a missionary for a decade in India and even longer than that in your life in other places. And, and, uh, and then uh, to, you know, whether they would come back here, we had to be the Lord, and uh, we had a peace about that. And I told the first service as well, I said, the math still doesn't add up. Didn't add up when I went full-time. Didn't add up when we added Pastor Trevor. It doesn't add up now. It's not horribly adding up, but I mean, it's not, it doesn't add all the way up. It's like when you, when you had your first child, it didn't add up. You know, you're like, but are we going to do this or not? You know, uh, and it's a step of faith, and so it is a step of faith, and, and them to take a step of faith, obviously they've been taking big steps to be serving in India for so long. And, uh, but that one picture where Lee looks excited, but Hudson and Zach, I'm not sure if they're confident in this decision. <laughs> Uh, they look like they have some worries about, uh, is this the Lord? Is it not the Lord? Have we forced the issue here? Have we, are we kicking down doors? Uh, so it, it, looks, it looks unsure there, but he looked more sure in India in the, in the, in the airport than when he got here. So, so reassure them that, that this, this is the Lord. Uh, so it would be helpful to do that. Yeah. And then, um, so welcome back, and, and, you know, they're looking for a place to, to live and a house and all that kind of stuff, and uh, in the next couple of weeks, you'll have an opportunity to help 
them. We want to take a love offering and things of that nature. We'll talk about that, but uh, they've got a lot to do. And uh, I want us to say thank you as well. Those of you that gave of your time Friday night and Saturday, and obviously, you know, Jason and Melissa, thank you for putting this together. I think you've been working for months to get the lease here and um, the Edify Kid Men ministry that, that is here, that was here uh, on Friday and Saturday. And uh, we just really appreciate the effort to bring them in. And, and so for uh, Tabitha and for Jamie, you know, it was just a blessing to, uh, I got to be part of Friday night and those of you that came out both Friday and Saturday, uh, thank you for giving of that time. I am glad that we didn't have to compete with good weather. God canceled all outdoor plans yesterday, so, so you didn't have a better thing to do, uh, at least not in the outdoor world. So everybody that was, came, thank you for giving that time. And I just, if you guys would stand up, we want to say thank you for your service here. <laughs> Melissa, has, Melissa has a bag for you, and we'll be giving, we, we have a financial gift for them. Uh, they, you know, Jamie had a full-time career in information technology and uh, Tabitha worked uh, in children's ministry and, and some other churches. They both left all that, sold everything, sold the house and everything, and, and traveled the country ministering to children's ministries in churches all across the country. North Carolina later, then New York coming up, Florida after that. So they've got a lot uh, that they have on their plate. And if you'd like to give something, they say, I can only give a $5 gift, do it. You know, that, that'll help. But they've got a little table out there. If you want to uh, give them something as a parting gift, we're going to give them something no matter what uh, for serving. But thank you for giving that time and uh, a real gifting. Tabitha, you did a great job in uh, really uh, instructing our children's ministry people. And so if you didn't come out for the children's ministry, we'll make sure we get another one down the road for you to be here. So uh, it was really, really a blessing. And then um, I wanted to let you know that uh, we finished Psalms, the series of Psalms. We didn't cover every single book, in the, uh, every single chapter in the book of Psalms. But in October, I'll start a brand new series from the book of Joel. Uh, it's both prophecy as well as encouragement, and so that will start Wednesday the 11th. We really want to make Wednesdays a real vibrant teaching night for people that can't come on Sundays and visitors and people you want to invite. So that will be starting, and uh, want to just make you aware of that. So we'll get that uh, launched uh, October the 11th, as Pastor Trevor mentioned, next week, tailgate. week after that, we have our prayer night, and then will be the start of this new series from the book of Joel. So... I also needed to tell you that the the guy that was up here playing violin, if you're new, that's Jackson. So uh, his father, um, Rich, is here. They're sitting way over there with Jackson. He's got a bright blue shirt on. You can't miss him there. But uh, <laughs> this sitting over there, yeah. So uh, Rich and uh, Jackson's mom are down here. Uh, for a few weeks in, in Virginia, just taking a little time of rest away. He pastors uh, Bethany Baptist Church uh, in Peoria, Illinois, down here for a few weeks. And uh, him and Jackson uh, approached me about potentially if I wanted a Sunday where he could teach. Well, at first I said no, but then I got to thinking, I need time in the next two weeks to get with Zach, who has to fly back to India by the 18th of October. And we have very limited time because they're looking for houses. So I need some time to be spending time with him in prayer and planning. I've got some things to work on with Joel as well as the book of Acts. And uh, my parents need some things from me. They're aging, and I have a few days that I have to allocate. So I said, 
your timing is great. So, so I actually took him up on it. So yeah, next Sunday, I'll be here. I'm, not gonna, I'll, I'm actually going to lead the, the Lord's Supper and Communion, uh, but Pastor Rich is going to teach. Next Sunday, both services, you'll be blessed. He's way more experienced than me. He's way older. No, I'm not. Just kidding. No, anyway, so he'll be, he'll be sharing. He'll be sharing next Sunday, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing myself. So that's Jackson's dad will be sharing, and we're looking forward to. And uh, I felt bad because you're kind of off, but you, you, you volunteer for this. And my knowledge of pastors that love the Lord, if they volunteer it, they mean it. So we'll take you up on it. So next Sunday, that's that. Uh, we're going to continue to pray for revival for the sake of time. I'm going to ask you not to get on your knees this morning. Just stay right there, kneel in your heart, and let's pray for revival. And I'm praying for the nation of Cambodia as we pray for one country every week. Lord, we humble ourselves and our hearts. Uh, Lord, we once again come before you. We know that uh, we need personal revival. The church needs revival. Our nation needs a great awakening and a work of repentance. Uh, We're a rebellious people as uh, has been down through history, but Lord, we're rebellious people. We're hard-hearted. There's so much idolatry. There's so much immorality. There's so much resistance to you. We have a nation that's running from the Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, cause people to run to you, not from you. We pray, Lord, that there would be a humbling and a, a crying out for salvation and a, a repentance and a turning of sin. We pray that you would heal marriages and families and homes and people that are uh, stuck in addictions and, Lord, sin and darkness. We pray that you would break those chains. We pray, Lord, not only here but in the nation of Cambodia. You love the Cambodian people every bit as much as you love this country and any other uh, ethnicity uh, around the world, Lord. We pray that you do a work of revival in that nation. We thank you for the seeds that are planted here and there. We pray that you'd cause them to multiply as we see in Acts chapter 6. And Lord, we pray for the persecuted church all over the world. Remember those in chains. Lord, would you bring them out and heal them and restore them. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We finished chapter 5 last week. And if you recall, you know, Acts, Acts chapter 5 starts with Ananias and Sapphira. <clears throat> they give this uh, gift which is under false pretense. Uh, they have lied to the Holy Spirit. They've not given the full amount. The Lord strikes both uh, husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, dead. The fear of the Lord falls upon the church, a church that already loved the Lord, a church that was already walking in the Spirit, becomes further heightened to the holiness of God and to the righteousness of God, and then even more miracles take place, and even more of the work of the Spirit is poured out. And then after that, we know that the high priest and and, uh, the other leaders, uh, they were none too happy with this, so they arrest them. They throw not just Peter and John, but the entire 12 apostles in prison Uh, But lo and behold, God sends an angel from heaven who comes in the middle of the night, unlocks the, well, actually the doors stay locked, just somehow brings them out, guards stay there, everyone is in their place, and yet they are found the following morning in the temple because the angel says, go back and preach the words of this life, and they're preaching in the temple, and then obviously the priests find out, hey, the guys that you threw in jail, they're, they're right back in the temple, they usher them back before uh, the, the council there. And after they threatened them that you shouldn't have been teaching in Jesus' name and you're trying to put his blood on us, and then they severely beat them and they rejoice that they were able to suffer for the Lord. And after that they leave 
and they go right back and continue the work of ministry. So we pick it up with Acts chapter 6. So the church continues to flourish, even though they got this severe beating, even though that they were threatened, they ignore it all and they obey God rather than man, and the church continues to grow. But when you have growth, you have new challenges. Amen? Uh, Growth is a blessing, but growth has its own challenges, and it has to be uh, really navigated with the help of the Lord. So Acts chapter 6, we'll just read the first several verses, starting in verse 1. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint. You ever heard a complaint? (laughs) There arose a complaint against uh, the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and I love these names, and proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostle, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let's pray again. Father, we Once again, open your word. We pray that you would divide your word. Lord, that your spirit would impress upon myself and my brothers and sisters and those that are hearing what you would speak to us, your church, this morning. Lord, we'd have listening ears, soft hearts, obedient hearts, and Lord, that we would be rather conformed to the image of Jesus. Lord, we pray that uh, we would be built up, strengthened, corrected, uh, comforted, whatever is needed. And Lord, we pray that it would all glorify and bring you all honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just like God was the creator, was and is the creator of mankind, God was and is the creator of man and woman, no matter how confused our country is on that. God was and is the creator of marriage, our country confused on that as well rebellious on that, I would add. God was and is the creator of the miracle of birth and of the family. God was and is the creator of the nation of Israel through Abraham. And by the way, God's not done with the nation of Israel, for those that think he is. And through the divine life and the ministry and the teaching and the preaching and the death and then the resurrection of Jesus, God, by the sending forth of his Spirit, created the church. This church that's part of the larger church. Anything and everything the church is, was, or is to be is by the design and direction of God. Through the working of the Holy Spirit to the lordship of Jesus, not to the lordship of any church name, not to the lordship of any pastor, number of books sold, but to Jesus, who is the head of the church. Mm-hmm. In Colossians 1.8, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, or from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Yeah. 
He's the shepherd. We're all sheep. Amen? I'm a sheep. You're a sheep. I love that that's one word. You don't have to add an S to. Just sheep. We're all sheep. But among his sheep, he called some to be apostles. They have come and gone. Well, they're not gone. They're in heaven with him. But some to be prophets. Some to be evangelists. Some to be pastors. Some to be pastors and elders. Some to be deacons. But each person that's ever been called into the faith has been called to serve. And the context of the opening of Acts chapter 6 is that uh, each and every disciple, each sheep, to serve effectively and for each one to serve in harmony. Effectively and in harmony. And here's what we see in the raising up of these deacons that are to aid the disciples, to help the, the apostles in the work of the ministry. Now understand that all disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are walking as disciples. Amen? All disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are walking as disciples. But they're plainly called to be. Everyone's called to be. All deacons are called to be disciples, but not all disciples are called to be deacons. Not in the formal sense. And we'll talk about that and what that means. Uh, that said, all able-bodied and able-minded believers and disciples, based on the Scriptures, are called to deacon-level service. And there is a time when your body no longer can do certain things. There's, there's people right now that are bedridden, but they would love to serve the Lord, but they're stuck in a bed. I talked about before, the young girl that prayed D.L. Moody across the Atlantic. But that was, she did what she could from a bed, she could pray. So everyone's called to something, to, depending on what their body can do, what they're able to do, i.e. some form of active service in Jesus' church, because this is his church, not ours. The reference point in verse 2 is that the apostles were serving tables. That's a glamorous job, isn't it? I did that in college, and uh, I was like, I can't wait to be done with this. You know, but serving tables, if you do that, uh, God bless you. But there are many equivalent needs and areas of service within the body of Christ, like parallel to serving tables, just things that need to be done. We'll come back to serving and the distinction of roles in a little bit. But, but all the framework, all the framework, it comes from God, it comes from His Word. And it's established in Jesus. And the apostles, they knew for the church to flourish, and we want to flourish in the fruit of the Spirit, we want to flourish in people coming to know the Lord. For the church to flourish, A, it would only happen by the grace of God, because it's always the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God I'm standing here and you're sitting there but also by following the instructions of God. I'm really glad that God's given me instructions because I would mess it up badly without God's instructions. Amen? But we, but we want to do it based on His instructions and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, you, you saw the title. and There it is again. The ministry model of the Spirit-led church or the ministry model for the Spirit-led church. And let's be clear, the model, if the model isn't coming from God, let's say a church sets up, say, hey, you know what, we don't really need the scriptures, we've got a better idea. 
and people have done this, but if the model isn't coming from God and the Spirit isn't doing the leading and we're not following what the Scriptures say, it's just another man-made religion. You can call it Christianity if you want to, but it would be just another man-made religion. But we know that the church is not man-made. It's a living body. It's the bride of Christ. It's the flock of God through the resurrection power of Jesus and His Spirit flowing through the church. But a living body grows, right? We have some newer babies in the church. We've got some one-year-olds and two-year-olds. Newer bodies are growing. Some of us are growing weaker by the day, but that's the form of growing, I guess. But, uh, but the early church, a living body grows, and we are growing and a growing body like us personally has our own needs and expanded needs. You know, someone that's one doesn't need the same food as someone who's five. In your personal families, some of your, all your kids are grown up. You've gotten them all out of the house. I'm not saying you drove them out of the house, but you got them out of the house. <laughs> Your kids are grown, some are married, you, you, you have raised them to adulthood, but you still remember, <clears throat> I do, I remember really well when it was just me and Sarah, and we went from two to three when we added our oldest daughter. When you go from no kids to one kid, as soon as that happens, there's an increase <clears throat> in things that need to be done. There's new tasks no one ever had to go buy diapers before this. No one ever had to do certain things. There's new things to be done. There's new hours that you're working. <laughs> 3 a.m. shift never existed before this. There's new money that needs to be spent. Every man says, amen to that. Uh, there's an increase in complexity and a necessary coordination of things. Then you add a second child, which we did. And a third child, which we did. Some of you are brave enough to add a fourth, which you've done. Russ has added like 12. I don't know how many he's got now. but um, And you add more to your family. Then, then there's even more to be done. Although you should be assembling a team to help it be done. But nevertheless, there's more to be done. There's an increase in expenses. More mouths to feed more people to comfort, more people to counsel, more homework to help with, and more efficient use of time is needed, more coordination of roles, more coordination of responsibilities. And then they become teens, and it hits you that helping with high school math takes a lot more time than helping with elementary school math, and that hair dryers and curling irons and things like that, replacing dolls and accessories are more expensive, and they break more than they're supposed to break, and all this other stuff. And you find out that real cars are way more expensive than toy cars if you have kids. And that teaching driving is way more complex, and I would add more stressful than teaching to ride a bike. They ride a bike, all right, you plow into the grass, big deal. The car is a, big, a really big deal. But everyone has to grow. The parents have to grow. The kids have to grow. The family has to grow. Roles expand. Roles change. Growth happens. Maturing happens. Adjustments have to be take, have to take place. That's the way God designed, that we have to grow with these things. 
And the same thing was happening in the early church here. So you can take the family and kind of extrapolate that to the early church. And the same thing was happening. Back to verse 1, it says, Now in those days the number of disciples was multiplying. You know, multiplication is not a small amount. It's an exponential kind of thing. Believers were being added to the body. Many were coming to Christ from all ages and places. And in and around Jerusalem, many had been healed. Many had been delivered from demonic possession. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, but uh, what started with a much smaller group, anywhere from 500 believers, maybe 1,000, we don't know, had grown exponentially. We know 3,000 were added to the kingdom in one day, another 5,000 in another day, in just two specific days. And the needs and the complexities were just growing, and that's a good problem to have, wouldn't you say? That people getting saved, people... Uh, Cleanse from demonic possessions, souls being saved. It's a really good problem to have. And especially, it says, in those days, the number of disciples. That's a really key statement there by Luke in verse 1. It says, when he says disciples, that we know that these new believers, this church was, the early church was the most on fire for the Lord church in the history of the church. Not even close. I mean, on, on the whole. These new believers were putting into practice what was being taught. They were not just hearers. They were doers of the Lord. They were putting into practice. Now, it's far better to have a church and a body of souls that are being saved and lives changed. That's a, again, that's something we would pray for. That's something we desire. Uh, but that added group of souls means added needs, more needs uh, more needs need to be taken care of. More work for a harvest. That's a better problem than a dying church where it's fading and the Word of God isn't being taught and no one's getting saved anymore and no one's getting baptized and it's just declining. Uh, so I would rather have a problem of growing in the Lord than dying on the vine. And by the way... Um, I remember the first time I read it in uh, a specific book. I don't remember which book I was reading, but, but it talked about that a harvest will always require more work. Because you would think, pray for a harvest, pray for a harvest. Once we have a harvest, it's easy street. No, it's not. And it stuck with me. And although I still pray for revival, you know we pray every single Sunday. Most Sundays we get on our knees, but we pray every single Sunday, and we are praying for revival. When a revival happens, you'd also have a harvest. And any farmer will tell you that harvest time is a lot of work. It's more work when you have a harvest. It's a lot to be done. And you have a limited amount of time to get the harvest in barns and all that stuff before it rots. So you have critical time periods for things to be done. When you have a baby, you can't say, you know what? We worked so hard the last nine months. We'll be back with you in a few weeks. <laughs> right? No. It's game on. As soon as the baby's born, it's the, it, you're jumping into the next level. Back to verse 1, part 2. And there arose a complaint among the Hebrews. Sometimes in the church, a complaint arises. I know you've never heard this before. <laughs> but every now and then, you'll get a text or an email or a voicemail. I was wondering... Or why did this happen? Or why didn't this happen? Or this should have happened? Did someone overlook this? 
Some people are really, really kind with these things. Some people are not. But I don't know how the complaint came, but the complaint came against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Prior to those converts, um, or I should say part of those converts that were coming to Christ, so part of the converts, I mentioned baby and the baby responded, so you know. (laughs) It was just an object lesson, you know. The Lord said we're going to take the object lesson to full throttle. So, but part of the converts that came to Christ, uh, coming in the church body, were widows. I mean, because when you have a work of the Spirit, everybody, you have young people, middle-aged people, married people, single people, and some were widows. And the care of the widows, um, those that did not have a family to support them, because that would be the first line of defense, is you'd have a family to support um, it was very important, the helping of widows was very important part of Jewish life and values uh, in ancient Israel at that time. The temp- and, and, and much of the Jewish community still has some of that in parts of the world today. But the temple authorities, they were the ones, the te- Caiaphas and the, and the temple authorities, they were the ones that organized and had the responsibility and the authority to organize distribution to Jewish widows there in the Jerusalem area. And they did. Uh, they, did, they didn't do a lot of things well, but they did do that. And it appears that the Jewish widows that had put their faith in Jesus had been cut off by the temple. Now, this should not be a surprise. Caiaphas is not the most compassionate guy we've ever seen, right? He already killed Jesus, and Jesus rose from the dead, and then we beat the apostles. So it shouldn't be a surprise that they had basically given an ultimatum, as best we can tell. You get saved you're cut off from the temple. You're on your own. And that's what was taking place. But the apostles in the early church had stepped in to fill that gap. They had stepped in and they were supplying the needs of the Jewish widows that the temple was refusing to help. They were the ones that stepped in and said, we will help. And by the way, that that could very well happen in our lifetime where people lose all kind of government support. Our country to go bankrupt one day. I mean, we're spending $1.30, $1.40 for every dollar we bring in and all that stuff, and we would be having to help people that would need help. But that's what took place, and so the apostles uh, said, hey, we'll, we'll step in and we will help these widows, and they were. Uh, we've already seen previously the unparalleled generosity that the early church had back in chapter 4 and all the way throughout. No doubt the gifts and offerings of Barnabas and many others uh, this was, again, the church at that time was the most giving body of believers on the whole, probably than the church age has ever seen. They just had a, you, you don't see many people today selling everything and giving it all to the Lord. You just, I mean, you see sometimes that, but that was very common in the early church. And so they were very giving. Uh, a lot of offerings had come in to help and support these widows. Uh, and for the record, you know, God does want the church today to better minister to widows and people that are really in need in the church. And not to say that we don't help outside the church, we're, we're called to help there too. You know, we'll have Bill James here in a couple weeks and some of you get a chance to sponsor kids in Uganda and those are kids that are, you know, we're trying to bring to Christ. But inside the church it's very important that we do a better job and we continue to grow to minister to those who have real need. Not people that are lazy and don't want to work, but people that really are in a destitute place. 
Now we know from uh, chapters 4 and 5 uh, that the apostles, they were the ones that when the, when the gifts and offerings were coming in and the, the tithes, offerings, gifts, whatever it may have been, uh, they were the ones allocating it to the right needs. And these were godly men that could be trusted and they were allocating uh, the gifts to where they saw the biggest needs. And it seems that there was quite a bit of already, even at this point, there was quite a bit of organized effort um, taking place in coordination even before the issue of this one group of widows being overlooked or left out had came up. There was already a lot of coordination. Uh, the word disciples, uh, that word alone indicates that, that the people were living out their instructed faith, that they were actually walking it out. But the words daily distribution, think about that, daily distribution. We have a lot of ministries going here at Calvary. We're not even a, some huge church or anything. We're relatively small church, and we have a lot of ministries that are happening. But we don't have a daily distribution. I mean, Amazon does that stuff. We don't. We don't have a daily distribution. They have a minute, distri minute, minute distribution. Right, Marty? But uh, uh, we don't have a daily distribution here. And I don't know many churches that have a daily distribution. That's a pretty complicated thing that they had uh, going on. So we know that there was already quite a bit of coordination and planning and process for even that to take place. Uh, daily distribution, think about a little bit of the scale of that. There was more than likely better than 10,000 disciples in the church in Jerusalem. Could have been 12, 13, 15,000, we don't know. And that, uh, that's far less than the total population of the city, but still. And obviously the number of widows is what, whatever percentage of that. Is that 200 widows, 300 widows, 500 widows, 1,000? We don't know the number of widows, but there's some percentage of the larger body of disciples and believers there in Jerusalem. And the apostles, they're not only over this particular operation, they're not only the ones that saw the need, implemented a plan, and it was actually quite effective, but they're not just over it. Not only do they have a compassion for these widows that the temple had probably cut off, but they were physically involved in it. They were serving tables. Those of you that have been on mission trips with us like El Salvador or Guatemala, you know when we go and do certain outreaches, we not only have a plan for the outreach, but you know, if we're taking those bread and putting the black beans on there and we're putting them all together, we're going to go feed people and a bunch of rice in a bag. Uh, the apostles were doing that stuff. They weren't saying, we're the apostles. We're going to, uh, you grab the right, I didn't do, rice wasn't the big thing there, but you know what I'm saying, uh, you grab the wheat and you know, you do this. They were literally part of it. They were doing the actual serving itself. And, and given the apostles' oversight, given the fact the apostles are one overseeing this, that they are the ones that instituted, they're overseeing it, we can be pretty certain that the neglect was unintentional. If it was intentional, then they would have been sinning. So we know that they weren't doing this. Not, by the way, this is a good rule of thumb. Many of the things that happen to you in life that someone overlooks are unintentional. Your first rule of thumb would be to assume it was unintentional. Some people, their first rule of thumb is to assume they don't like me. They forgot it was my birthday. I have the same anniversary every year. How do they not know this? Whatever it is they probably had a crisis or they're busy or something, but it was more than likely unintentional. Every now and then in the body of Christ, there's intentional things, and that needs to be dealt with too. 
Paul addresses some of those things later in the New Testament. But unintentionally, the apostles, they somehow missed something and something started to fall to the gap. Now Satan, he's always there to orchestrate and to jump into these things. Remember, he had already attacked the church with persecution, thrown the apostles in jail, brought in internal uh, pride and deception with uh, Ananias and Sapphira. But now here in this situation, with this complaint that has risen, he's going to use misconceptions, misneeds, and hurt feelings. This is like, these are like the biggest attacks in the American church today. Misperceptions, misneeds, and hurt feelings. And all that to stir internal strife. And by the way, Satan used these same tactics today. We know that. To try and divide people and disturb people and disable. Now we know the apostles, they were regularly, think about what they were doing in ministry. We know that they were very regularly and very effectively, they were teaching. They were preaching. We know that they were very faithful in teaching and preaching. They hadn't stopped teaching and preaching in all this time. They were making disciples. They were men of prayer. They were men of study. They were still praying. They were still studying. Yet they found themselves, at, by Acts chapter 6, they found themselves being pulled in too many directions. And as the church was growing, uh, they, they're pulled in these different directions, and they're still being quite effective with it all, but all of a sudden this gap shows up. And you see, it's possible for everyone in this room, you can do this in your house as a parent or a family. You can do this in your job. It's possible to be very faithful and even highly effective and yet not fully optimized based on order of priorities and the amount of available time you actually have. You ever been there and you say, I've got too many balls in the air. One is going to drop. It's just a matter of which one. This egg is going to hit the floor. And that happened. And notice the apostles, uh, again, they're not above serving tables. It, it wasn't that they had an issue with it. But the Hellenist Jews, they had fallen through the cracks and they weren't getting any of this distribution. And obviously widows going without food is a pretty big deal when this is what they were expecting on a daily basis. Uh, the, the Hellenist Jews, by the way, uh, the Hellenist Jews, they were Jews that came from the Greek culture. They most likely were Jews that spoke the Greek language, and some of them couldn't speak Hebrew, uh, or they predominantly spoke the Greek language and could speak Hebrew, but they still preferred to speak Greek because that was their first language. They grew up in Greek-speaking cities and had ended up in Jerusalem or Judea at a later time, had come there. As opposed to the Hebrew culture, which goes the Hellenists versus the Hebrews. They're all Jewish. The Hellenists are Jewish. The Hebrews are Jewish. We understand that, right? They're all Jewish, but the Hellenist ones come from a, more of a Greek background. Again, if, um, if you're a certain ethnicity and you grew up in another part of the world uh, and you come back home to your native ethnicity, you might come home and you have the same ethnicity, but your culture, you grew up in a completely different place. You don't even, some of the things they do doesn't resonate with you. And so you had these others, the, the other widows, they were Hebrew-speaking, and their entire life they'd grown up in the Hebrew culture, probably in Judea, uh, around Jerusalem area. And there was a distrust among the Hebrew communities that were Hebrew culture, Hebrew language, versus the Hellenists that were also Jewish, but they came from that Greek culture. And 
the Hellenists were considered, or the, the, the Hebrews would consider the Hellenists to be more worldly because they had forsaken their Jewish roots, they had forsaken their Jewish language and the Jewish cultures and practices, even things in their mind that were related to the law. And then the Hellenists, who were also Jewish but Greek and culture, they considered the Hebrews to be legalist. Good thing none of this happens in the church today, right? You know, so uh, we don't have any rival factions that rise up. But you can certainly imagine these attitudes because, of course, they still take place. Uh, but the apostles, they saw the attack for what it was, that God was trying to bring unity to two different cultures, even though they were all Jewish. You know this in your own family. Just because your family doesn't mean there isn't factions, Right? So Satan will try and create factions in the family of God. And the enemy is using an unintentional oversight, because the apostles didn't intend for there to be a gap that uh, developed, to drive a wedge and to cause frustration. But they also, the apostles addressed it immediately. And the best time to address things that we see is as soon as we possibly can, right? So they do address it immediately. They don't put it off. They don't say, you know what, eh, let's just... No big deal. Let it fester. They'll, they'll figure it out. These widows will work it out. No, they're going to have to get involved. And, and they also saw what fell through the cracks. They saw it as an indicator that the Lord was saying, it is time now to raise up other men so you can even focus more on your primary calling. They saw this as even though there was no sin involved, it was unintentional, they saw it as the Lord saying, now I want you to raise up others. Now, back in the Old Testament, the ancestors, or, or the, one of the early ancestors of the apostles is Moses. And he comes along 400 years or so after Abraham. And Moses, has, as you know, leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and God gives him the responsibility of leading some two million people and Moses, uh, as the leader of Israel, had a similar moment that led to a similar raising up of men, and it takes place, uh, and, and assigning specific responsibilities to those men, and it takes place in Exodus chapter 18. As I told the first service, this is the largest piece of text I have ever put on a slide, right here. This is it. This is the biggest eye chart you will ever have gotten from me uh, and I even highlighted it just like I would in a Bible. Digitally, I did it, but I used my highlighter and pen. So this is the biggest piece of text I've ever put. Uh, I usually put much smaller amounts of verses. But I wanted you to see this in an entirety. And I knew we were going to be stretched for time or I'd just have you turn in your Bibles and read it, which you can. But I have it on the screen. So the, Mo, the, Moses' father-in-law, who is Jethro, uh, said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Now Moses wasn't sinning. He just, Jethro was saying, what you're doing is going to collapse. It's not like it's a sin. It just, has a, it just has a design flaw. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. Now, you don't want to wear yourself out, nor do you want to wear the family out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people which is prayer. So he's saying, Jethro's saying, your calling, Moses, is to be a man that spends a lot of time with God in prayer so that you may bring the difficulties to God, which is that ministry of prayer. And you shall teach <coughs> them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. So he's saying, your, your primary calling, Moses, is 
to pray and stand before God in prayer and to teach and preach the statutes. Verse 21, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. They have to be men that fear the Lord. If they, if they fear the Lord, they'll hate covetousness. That's the way it works. And place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it shall be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure. Don't we all want to endure, right? Uh, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. Good leadership brings peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said, and Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them the heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens, so they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. What God did then, he was redoing. One of the things that Jesus said in the upper room, he said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of all things. Not just all things that Jesus taught, but all the scriptures. And the thing that the reason why we'll be in the book of Joel this you know, coming October, we are in the Psalm, the whole counsel of God is what the apostles, that's how they knew based on what Jesus taught, based on what Moses wrote, based on what the Holy Spirit was saying. They understood the Holy Spirit wove it all together and said, this is your plan. This was not, well, this, that was way back. No, no, this, the same principles, not the exact same uh, details, but the same principles come forward in Acts chapter 6. But we understand that outside of the biggest and uh, hardest decisions, Moses was going to delegate to a group of men that were godly men, men of uh, truth, men that feared God, and that would become the 70 elders. Later would become the Sanhedrin. It would be called the Sanhedrin, but it would start as the 70 elders. Uh, while he and Aaron, Aaron being the high priest, he and Aaron were to spend the majority of their time before the Lord, worshiping God, prayer, but also teaching and instructing the people. That, that co-ministry of prayer and the teaching of God's Word. That would be their primary. Does that sound familiar to Acts 6? It's identical. Prayer and teaching. Apostles say, whatever Moses and Aaron did, whatever Jesus did, prayer and teaching, that's what they saw Jesus do. That's what they understood that their forefathers in the faith did, That what we call the patriarchs. So they were simply saying the Holy Spirit is reaffirming that God hasn't changed His plan. Prayer and the Word, prayer and the Word, prayer and the Word. The foundation of shepherding any flock of God, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, early church, today's church in 2023, is that of prayer and the teaching of God's Word. Amen. Many other churches are substituting now and say, you know, we are going to have the most amazing services. And so, so we don't really, really tax the people. We'll read maybe one verse and have a 10-minute message. And that should be a snack spiritually to keep everybody. <laughs> no. The priority. Lots of other things are important. And there's lots of other things important in the ministry itself. There's, you know, for me personally, anyone, weddings, funerals, visiting people, all those things are still going to be part of, but there has to be a prioritization of the word and prayer first and foremost. Amen? That's what the apostles were making the point. And uh, as it was 
with Moses and the prophets and the apostles and later as pastors, the apostles knew that they had hit a critical tipping point in their time. And the Holy Spirit was saying, you've got to adjust this. Or it could become a pro- or it could actually dilute the power of the Spirit if you start. It hadn't gotten to that. It would have gotten to that, but they addressed it before it got to that. And so as it was with Moses, the Spirit compelled them to broaden the shoulders of the ministry so the right focus could be on the Word and in prayer. Uh, you guys know I, I like the teaching of, he's got here home with the Lord, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. He was on the radio for years. Uh, you might remember his Texas accent. Uh, he said this, he said, it is important for every church to recognize that the minister should have time to study the Word of God and have time for prayer. Unfortunately, the average church today is looking for a pastor who is an organizer and a promoter, a sort of vice president to run the church, a manager of some sort. This is unfortunate. As a result, the church is suffering today. Now, when there's, be- when there's, when there's pastors that, that could have the time for prayer and the Word, and they don't take the time for prayer and the Word, that's their own problem. That's just a hireling and you know, someone who is following the path of a false teacher. But, but also, both the, those that are teaching the Word should have a high regard for prayer and the Word, but the congregation should have a high regard for prayer and the Word. So it should be, and as Paul says, people heap up what they want. They'll heap up teachers that reflect exactly what they're looking for. So it's very important that, that we're in agreement uh, in the body of Christ that this is what God says. And if the apostles laid it out, we can be pretty sure. But the apostles, they refused to give in and even give Satan an inroad, neither by reducing their focus, they weren't going to reduce their focus on the Word of God in prayer, but they also weren't going to say, well, you know what? Because we need this time to study in prayer, let's just end the whole widow distribution thing. Notice they didn't say that. Why? Because that was still important. They didn't say, well, we don't have time to do this anymore, so let's just ax the whole distribution. No more giving to widows. No, they said, we need to raise up men so that both go forward. The teaching of the word and prayer, but also the distribution also is effective. And the God-given solution, again, was to find spirit-filled men that would fill the roles of leadership, administration, and help train other people for these things. That's why we did the children's ministry. We want to raise people up. You're broadening the shoulders of any ministry. That's why we had as many people up here. We want all the worship team to grow in responsibility and effectiveness. Now, the same God that raised up Moses and raised up Aaron and uh, raised up Israel and raised up the apostles and raised up the church uh, in both Testament, he would raise up men, God will do this, raised up men that would support the growing family. And many women are part of this too. I mean, obviously God uses both men and women in the body of Christ. But as uh, we've had to do here, we started out uh, with like zero deacons, and then we had one, and then we had two, and then we had three, and now we have seven, which is the same number here. Choose for yourself seven men. But they wouldn't stop with seven. Eventually they'd go beyond seven. By the way, did you notice Moses had 70 elders seven deacons. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. Seventh day God rested. So that factor of seven is visible in both of those. But uh, it's completion. It's a, it, God will always complete a work by raising up people to complete that work. And as I mentioned earlier, everyone that's able-bodied, if you're able-bodied, God has a place for you to serve in the family of God. It's in different sizes. One of the things that Sam, you guys have met Sam Nadler. He's been a disciple mentor of mine over the years, and uh, he's forgotten more than I know. And you know, he, he was one that told me years ago, he said, 
as you give, as you train people and disciple people, remember they need different size boxes. Those of you who have kids, you have might you might have three or four kids, and you know that one kid you give them a certain size box of responsibility, you could overwhelm them. The other kid you give them that much, and they're already bored, right? So you know that different. It doesn't mean that some people are less important or they can't. It's just different size, and people are at different places in their life that you don't want to overtax them, but you do want to give them something that they can be effective in and they can use their gifts and talents. So everyone uh, is called uh, to do something in the body of Christ if they're, if they're able-bodied and able to do that. And uh, as I stated uh, you know, earlier, we went from seven and, and yeah, then eventually we had to add Pastor Trevor uh, and he's been a blessing, and now we'll add Zach in the, in the new year, and I believe he'll be a blessing. He has gifts and talent that I don't have, that Trevor doesn't have, that some other people don't have. And so God also disperses gifts and makes us that much more effective uh, in these things. But everyone's called, everyone's able-bodied to serve in some capacity. Uh, there's the formal role of a deacon, and then there's the functional role of a deacon or deaconess. And everyone uh, is called to the common functional role. By the way, uh, anyone, that's formerly a de- for, anyone that is formally laid hands on to be a deacon still has to do functional things. Otherwise, we don't have just figureheads, right? Uh, everyone's called to functional work, but some people are called to functional plus formal. That makes sense. I mean, like, it, before I was a pastor, I was called to the same functional things that I do, but then it becomes a formal, no, you are anointed to do this, are called to do this specifically. And Paul wrote about this, saying that everyone in the church is called to the functional role of deacon or deaconess level work. How do we know this? We'll look at 2 Thessalonians 3.11. Uh, Paul writing, admonishing the church, because he said this is not good, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all. When I grew up as a kid, my dad expressed to all of us, you all have certain responsibilities. Nobody said, hey, I'm off for the next 10 years because I got bigger fish to fry. I like to play sports. I like to... No, everyone had a responsibility. And so Paul was saying, if you're not working and serving the Lord in some capacity, you're disorderly. And Jesus someday will give in his, you know, in his beam of seat estimation of every life. That why were you disorderly? I wasn't disorderly. No, I, you didn't do anything why would you not serve? I, I, I died for you that you would serve. So uh, I am so grateful for every single person in this body that does practical deacon or deaconess. Like I said, as I'm saying up here, that's deacon and deaconess level work. The ministry that took place Friday is that deacon and deaconess level work. But then there's the formal role, which these seven were called, and they would have the responsibility of answering for what was taking place downstream. Um, but everyone's called to serve. The seven men of Acts 6, we know that they could not handle the entire distribution on their own. They were called to facilitate it, organize it, and then operationalize it so other people would be involved. There's no way the apostles were 12, and they couldn't handle it all. Uh, the pastoral letter, uh, but again, understand that everyone, if you're able-bodied, is called to serve. Remember the pastoral letter uh, that Paul writes to Timothy? Uh, he even outlines that, speaking of widows, because obviously with the widow situation here, it still persisted uh, throughout the uh, church age that there are a lot of widows that needed help. 
And long after Jerusalem, uh, Paul is saying that in the church, if someone becomes a widow and they don't have any family help, there's no one to support them, there's no one that helped them, they don't have any means whatsoever. He's like, the church should have a heart and even step in to help, but they had to be widows that were serving the Lord. Look what he says in, in, in uh, 1 Timothy 5.10. He said, uh, so any widow that falls into the category of no help, no family support, no government support, they don't have any, anything, he says, they have to be well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has re re uh, relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Now this wasn't just for widows. This was just saying, this is a group that they'll have no means. Everyone in the body of Christ is called to do these kind of things. But he was saying, if you had someone that, uh, well, so-and-so has become destitute. Well, how long have they been in the church? Uh, 30 years. Uh, have they ever served at all? No, they always tell us they have no time. They, they can't help anybody. They can't lodge anybody. They can't do anything. Uh, and year after year after year, Paul's like, then they have a different family, but it's not actually been the family of God. Uh, that's... Uh, this is just him just saying, look, everyone is called. And again, this is in the years that they could do this. That You reach an age where you can't do that, and that's why then the church is, a, is supposed to be stepping in. But the initial deacons in Jesus' church, these initial seven men uh, selected, were to be men, as it tells us uh, in the passage here, men of good reputations, pure reputations. And notice in verse 3, their spiritual character, it was to be visible to all. Seek out from among yourselves. It says to be visible to everyone in the church, uh, their, their character. And the apostles would then approve them and <coughs> appoint them. But these weren't only just to be diligent men, but men that were filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't have a lot of men filled with the Holy Spirit these days, do we? Not like percentage-wise, but but that they would be men filled with the Holy Spirit. And men filled with the Holy Spirit, they'll be filled with faith and power and love. And the New Testament deacons assist in the apostles, unlike the 70 elders that, that Moses would, uh, that would raise up. Uh, these New Testament deacons would have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Everyone that's saved has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for your calling and your ministry area. Uh, these initial deacons... Uh, they were filled with, a, filled with a power of the Spirit that was reflective of the same mighty power the apostles had. We don't really see deacons today given this kind of power that these early deacons were given. Uh, they even did miracles, uh, just like the apostles did. They were having an overflow of what God put on the apostles was also on these men as well. And so in addition to the very practical things they were called to do, the administrative things they were called to do, the help-related things that they were called to do, God gave them miracle power similar to the apostles, which was just that dispensation uh, during that time. And at least two of them, we know, maybe more, at least two of them are called out of the role that they'll be initially put in by the Lord to be a full-time evangelist. You know, so Stephen, who's in the next part of this passage, and Philip are both going to be called completely out, but they'll fulfill the functional while they have this power of the Holy Spirit and, um, and then later be called into a later work. But Paul later, as we bring this to a close this morning, Paul later details the role of deacons and elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And what he outlines in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I don't have time to go there, it mirrors the character 
elements that we see in Exodus chapter 18 as well as Acts chapter 6. And he kind of adds those together with a few other things. But as we kind of bring this to a close in verses 5 through 7, it uh, tells us, you know, here's the men that were selected. Verse 6, when they set them before the apostles, when they had prayed and laid hands on them, and when we name another deacon, we do the same thing. We lay hands on them and uh, they're raised up. Verse 7, then the word of God spread. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Look at the glorious fruit that comes from saying, God, we hear you. We need to adjust the structure accordingly. We need to broaden the shoulders. We need to find and lay hands on those that you have called to these things. And just orderly things, God blessed it spiritually. More disciples are added. More people are saved. This prioritization of the ministry of word and of, uh, of prayer caused the word of God to spread even more. More people saved, more disciples, even formerly resistant priests. Up at this point in time, we don't see any of the priests coming to the faith. Now, even some of the resistant priests, they see that God is moving and they see that the order trumps their order. <clears throat> I want to close with a little passage. I shared it yesterday with our deacons and elders. I sent them a text to all of them that's found in 1 uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. That I believe God did with the apostles. They were 12 men, and then they add these seven. And I believe he can do again with a few of you and a few of us. It doesn't have to be a whole bunch of people, but God can take a few. and And he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 2, your zeal has stirred up the majority. Isn't that good? Your zeal has stirred up the majority. Uh, Seven can influence 700, and 12 can influence 1,200 for good or for bad, right? We see it both ways, and we see see a few people stirring up people to evil, but then we can see a few stirring up to good, and God wants to raise up those that would actually prioritize the ministry of the word and prayer for the growing and fruit of of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you again for this time in your word. And Lord, may you take uh, the seeds that are planted here and water them. Lord, we continue to uh, seek your work of renewal in this body of believers and that you'd raise each and every person up to their area of service, that they would know clearly where they're called and how they're called and how you've equipped them to serve. And Lord, that we'd help those that can't serve, that, that, that for whatever reason they don't have the ability, but they would still find a place uh, to be people of prayer and to minister in that capacity. And we just thank you, Lord, that you are a God of uh, power and compassion. And Lord, you work in a mighty way. But Lord, you're a God that gives us order and instructions. And we thank you for the blueprint and the focus that you've given us in your word and how to even proceed forward when things are complex. And Lord, we just trust you as we continue to grow in this body that uh, we'll mature and Lord, love you even more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we close in worship this morning.